0: Hello and welcome to DNA Software's first podcast episode with our founder and CEO, Dr. John Santalucia. Today we'll be talking about uh, the importance of fluorophores and quenchers in design, in multiplex design, and how to uh, appropriately accommodate and account for these um, different dyes and quenchers. Uh, some of the things I've heard from customers over the years and uh, some of the research that's been done at DNA Software to um, consider these. So the first um, fluorophore and quencher we want to talk about, John, is... Uh, MGBs, I get asked about minor groove binders quite often. And what would be your just general um, recommendations for, for the people when they design with MGB, or what to consider?
1: Uh, MGBs are interesting. Um, they were developed by Epo- Epic Biosciences back in about 10, 15 years ago now. They um, uh, bind to the three prime end of the strand that it's attached to and they can move to different locations. So the MGB um, recognizes a five base pair stretch, um, but it can, with the linker, is a little bit flexible. So there's a a range in which that uh, MGB can bind to and detect. But the MGBs provide a significant um, thermodynamic bonus for a perfectly base paired helix. And most importantly, they also provide a discrimination if you have uh, mismatch. Um, But you need to locate that mismatch near the three prime end of the sequence. So basically that structural distortion caused by that mismatch makes that monogroove binder um, bind much less tightly. Um, So um, in cases where you have either a very AT-rich target or if you want to discriminate um, mismatches from match, the MGBs can be great. The only other limitation is that MGBs work best in a region that has a uh, high content of at base pairs. So if there's gc base pairs near the mismatch, then they don't work as well. But one of the nice things is DNA software has made our simulation software. So we actually made experimental measurements with MGB with different mismatches and different contexts. And um, that uh, effect is fully accounted for in our design algorithms.
0: So just a couple clarifying questions. When you say that there's a significant um, thermodynamic bonus, what would what, what we consider significant?
1: Um, greater than 10 degree melting temperature enhancement. So tep- typically, you know, 12 to 15 degrees would be very typical melting temperature enhancement for the match. For the mismatch, it decreases the TM by 10 degrees or more depending on the type of mismatch. So some of the permitting, permitting mismatches are a weaker effect. Some of the purine purine mismatches are more disturb, distorting cause bigger effect but we've yeah. measured the full you know you don't need to know that as a user that was the software okay. fully simulates all of that and designs around those those problems um, to give you the optimal design that discriminates the most
0: yeah that was my you, you anticipated my next question which is the user doesn't need to know um those tm changes or the thermodynamic uh, improvement from the MGB. But you said something about mismatch and needing to know where that mismatch is. Does the software determine the mismatch or would the user have to specify? No, that? you
1: need to specify the location of the SNP site. Okay. Uh, and then the software would do the design in the presence of, uh, to detect the, the optimal location
0: of that probe. Okay, that's that's great to know about MGBs. I get asked that pretty, uh, pretty frequently. Uh, another question that comes up a lot certainly when we do multiplex panels is, you know, which which dyes um, to put on the different TaqMan uh, detection probes that are there. Is there any recommendations you'd make or does it, I, I guess having measured this at DNA software, what, what are your impressions about the importance of uh, those different dyes and, and uh, terminal modifications?
1: Yeah, okay, there's several levels of that question. So the first one is the instrument that you're using yourself is the most important determinant of which fluorophores. So if you're working with a um, QPCR instrument that only has one channel, you can only use one fluorophore. Um, and in that case, what would govern your decision would be the mainly the brightness of the fluorophore. If you have, if you're trying to do multiplex PCR, um, so for example, we have an instrument at our company here, the CFX, the BioRAD CFX96 it will detect up to five different dyes. Um, each of those dyes, are, their wavelengths are separated by about 30 nanometers or more. Um, and so they're able to achieve a five-channel detection within a single well. Um, so really, the hardware that you're using dictates which fluorophore that you can use uh, for each channel. Um, it does matter though, the fluorophore choice affects the brightness greatly. So for example, FAM is really bright. Other fluorophores um, can be much weaker like the VIC or hex dyes um, are typically significantly weaker. Some of the other ones, uh, Texas red can be quite bright um, and you can see that really well. Um, Quasar 705 is a weaker, weaker intensity. So that's a common issue that users will see that Hey, you know, some channels seem to work better than others. That is a limitation of the quantum yield of the fluorophores, and it's also a limitation of the instrumentation. The other effects that need to be taken into account. I mentioned there was multiple aspects to that question. Um, is the thermodynamic effect? So the different dyes contribute differently to the stability of hybridization. So um, when you're doing a man probe the five prime end is labeled with a fluorophore, that can actually stack on top of the helix. So when the probe lays down, the five prime end fluorophore can sort of cap at the end of the helix and form an extra interaction. There's a stabilizing interaction there due to the fluorophore. Same thing at the three prime end where your quenchers are, Um, they can have a stabilizing effect at the three prime end for the same reason. Um, They can either stack on top of the helix or sometimes go into one of the grooves to, to give a stabilizing effect, sometimes a destabilizing effect. So we've actually measured, uh, so we had NIH funding to measure the effects of fluorophores and quenchers. Uh, I think we measured the thermodynamic contributions of over 30 um, fluorophores and seven different quenchers um, that are all the most widely used quenchers. So, so we for quenchers, we did BHQ-1, BHQ-2, BHQ-3, the QSY quenchers, DABSIL, uh, the Iowa Black clenchers. Mm-hmm. We did all of those. Um, for the fluorophores, we have a very wide range of Alexa dyes, Cal floor dyes, Cy dyes, uh, FAM, etc. cetera. This Texas is the, Radiol, is Alexa dyes. Yeah, there's a lot of, yes. So we made um, thermodynamic measurements in many different contexts. Um, we also, for molecular beacon design, uh, made measurements on the the um, a hairpin loop where you have a fluorophore and a quencher right in clo- close proximity in the hairpin so uh, we made those measurements uh, with many combinations of fluorophores and the appropriate quenchers that go with those fluorophores so in that case at a beacon the fluorophore and the quencher themselves can form a, a very stabilizing interaction uh, actually it's worth you know more than a base pair often but it depends which combination so again dna software has done all of this work for you and it's incorporated into our software, into Visual OMP, PanelPlex, and our other software packages that account for these fluorophore and quencher effects.
0: Yeah, so a re- reoccurring theme that I hear amongst customers is the sort of thermodynamic um, knowledge. is It might be limited around fluorophores and quenchers. They, they don't necessarily know which ones best behave. Um, and And the idea is the software will indicate which one to use rather than expecting the user to... To make a judgment
1: generally um the fluorophore effect could be stabilizing in a few cases destabilizing it uh doesn't usually affect the um, outcome of the design in the sense that if the fluorophore is a very stabilizing fluorophore then the design that comes out will be you know one base pair shorter if the fluorophore is a little bit destabilizing the design might come out one base pair longer than you would otherwise um uh have if you weren't if you had no fluorophore there. So so in the end, the choice of a fluorophore is not limiting in the design. It's just something that needs to be accounted for. And at DNA software, that's something we we pride ourselves in making those detailed measurements that allow us to get that a supreme, super high accuracy of of the design. And that becomes important. Like if you're trying to do a floor if you're trying to do a Tac-man probe with wild type versus a mutant and you need to discriminate just a single base pair change you're putting the probe on a you know tipping point you know if the if it's a wild type you know you're going to get to bind just barely it's going to work yeah if it's a mutant then boom it's just barely a few degrees melting temperature decrease and you need that account for those fluorophore effects and quencher effects to to get that level of precision to Nail it. So it's a thermodynamic that,
0: fulcrum, right? It's a thermodynamic <laughs> yeah. fulcrum. It's I've exactly where we're at. Yeah, where yeah.
1: You want to get that that um, that probe to be designed very precisely. So that it just binds just tightly. You know, it's like Goldilocks. Not too yeah. hot, not too cold. You want that TM to be just right where you can detect the wild type and not detect the mutant, or vice versa, however you set it up.
0: Yeah. Okay, well... These were questions that I hear often, so often, in fact, that we thought it was worth sharing in our first episode of our, our podcast. Um, we appreciate you joining today. And if you have any other questions, you can always email me directly your, your questions about assay design or multiplex assay design at joe, J O E, at DNAsoftware.com. Thank you. Bye, everyone.